Welcome to Made It Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Hafling. Made It Happen is a podcast series highlighting female founders who took a chance and launched their own business. Through interviews with female entrepreneurs, Made It Happen is dedicated to inspiring others through stories of those who've experienced going out on their own firsthand, discussing all the highs and the lows. It can be easy to see the glamorous side of starting your own business through the internet and social media, but what does it really take behind the scenes to launch and run your own successful business? Listen in for tangible tips and advice for growing your business from those who have been there. Hear how these inspiring female founders made it happen. Today's episode is featuring Jennifer, CEO of She's Newsworthy Media. Jennifer is a former TV reporter turned entrepreneur and speaker. Before entrepreneurship, Jennifer worked in the Canadian media industry for over 15 years as a reporter, producer, and writer for CTV, CBC, Global, and CP24. She's been featured in the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, Global News, CTV Speaking, and The Social, speaking about imposter syndrome, women in business, and the need for more inclusive marketing. She's Newsworthy Media was founded to help amplify the voices of women in the media because their expertise is underrepresented. The company is now Canada's go-to resource for women entrepreneurs who want to get massive exposure for their business on TV. The company has helped over 60 women entrepreneurs land media spots on the most popular Canadian TV shows, including The Social, CityLine, CP24 Breakfast, Global News Morning, and Your Morning. This is a must-listen episode on gaining media attention as we talk about how to craft a newsworthy pitch that will actually get picked up by the media, the key number of media outlets you should be sending your pitch to and how they determine this, one common mistake made when doing PR as a business owner that will surprise you, it surprised me, and how to really utilize your earned media for your business and turn it into profit. This is an episode you won't want to miss. Before we jump into this episode, while we're on the topic of gaining media exposure and really amplifying your voice, I just want to let you know that the doors for the step-by-step podcast launch program are now open. This is a program I've been working on for so long and I'm so excited to be bringing it to the world. It's going to be starting August 15th and there is very limited seats and limited time pricing for the special offer of the Founders Round. So if you are looking to launch a podcast, which can lead to so many other opportunities, it can build brand awareness, you can be seen as an expert in your industry, reach new audiences, connect with people you look up to, and so much more. This program is specifically for ambitious women looking to start their own podcast, but not sure where to start. This is the program for you. You can learn more with the link in the show notes or visit elevatepodcastco.com and go to programs. That's elevatepodcastco.com. Go to program and you can see there. Sign up today. Okay, so today I'm joined with Jennifer from She's Newsworthy Media. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm so thrilled to be chatting with you this afternoon. I am as well. And I can't wait to hear more about your journey, hear more about what you're up to. And so to start things off, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? 
Yeah. So I am a journalist by trade. I worked in the media industry and pretty much did the circuit for over 15 years at most of the TV stations in Canada here and made the transition out of the media. I would say officially in 2017, I got sucked back in for about a year before that and then made the transition out. Um, I'm yeah, it's I cannot believe the journey has been 20 years since I actually stepped foot into a newsroom, which was in 1999 at CTV in Scarborough, Ontario. Amazing. Well, and do you want to tell us a little bit about what first got you into that industry? What is it that really attracted you there? What did you like about sort of working in the media? I think as a child, I really loved being in front of the camera, but because I'm a woman of color, there was complete lack of representation. So I pretty much grew up my entire life and still to this day, you know, thinking that maybe I don't belong in that place. So I did have a desire to be in front of the camera, but I kind of suppressed it and I pushed it back. I always said, oh, I'll be behind the scenes. Uh, You know, I was a really great writer as a child. I used to get writing awards all the time. My parents had a very messy divorce. And I think I used a lot of my, um, my healing and coping mechanism was through writing. So I also was a very curious child, very, very curious child, naturally want to ask a lot of questions. So when I went to, I was in high school and there was um, a bulletin in the back of my writing class about this poster for an organization called Young People's Press. And pretty much they would work, their editors that would have relationships with major media outlets, uh, newspapers like the Toronto Star, and they would work with young journalists like myself to get published. So I was published, I think, in the Toronto Star at the age of 18. And Ironically, I did a story all about the racial divide in my high school, about how different ethnicities would only hang out with their own type and their own kind. So it's really interesting looking back now that those issues and, um, you know, just issues of racism were still prevalent back then, but it just looked a little bit differently. So that was kind of my first little, um, you know, you would say taste of, oh, you know, getting your name published in something like the Toronto Star is a big deal, especially if you're still a teenager. I think it fed into a lot of, it helped give me confidence. It was very low confidence a teenager, super skinny. Um, I was the one that got made fun of for my skin color, but I also had glasses and braces at the same time, which is, you know, any teenager knows that's not a great combination uh, along with the pimples. Right. So, um, you know, there was like me trying to find myself and trying to like validate that what I, who I am, what I have to say is important. And that kind of was almost like a self-fulfilling thing that I got through journalism uh, because it puts you on this platform. And when I think about the journey, you know, I just can't believe again that it's been, um, you know, flashing back to those memories. I had applied for journalism school a couple times and, you know, it's so funny when we think about it because we hear the statistics of who gets in and what type of support and who advocates for them now versus when I was trying to get in, I didn't have anybody advocating for me. And I got rejected twice when I was trying to get into Ryerson. It was a very competitive program. My marks were in the 70s, so they weren't terrible, but they weren't 90 plus, right? Um, So I didn't get in. I ended up at York University doing communications and I still applied again. And I never got in my first year. I was like, let me still see if I can get into Ryerson which is now renamed, right? Toronto Metropolitan University. And I just like, 
you know, I didn't get in and I was heartbroken. So I just finished my program, you know, okay, I might as well here. I'm here. I finished my program. And then I applied again. Like I didn't give up. I applied again and I did the post-grad, but it was so funny because the post-grad I actually got in at Western and the application was um, like, you, you get notified before Ryerson. So I went to Western for a week as a backup. And at that time, that was 2005. I had, there was a gentleman at Ottawa university or Carleton university where I had applied and he was of West Indian descent. I'm West Indian as well. And he was, he was trying to advocate and get me in. He says, you know, these are the things you need to approve. So it was really nice to kind of have that support. Of course, when you walk into journalism, it's all white. Like your, your, your classmates are all white. They're mostly male. They are not representative of the general population. So it's a really good indication of the point of view that the storytelling happens, right? Coming out of the newsrooms. So after I ended up at Ryerson, I did end up the two-year degree. And I was like, it wasn't what I wanted. Like all these years, like for five, six, seven years, I was like trying to get in and I got there. I didn't love it. The teachers were, um, you know, very demeaning. They were not supportive. That was not my experience at all. And I, I just, it just wasn't, you know, you, you also got more experience working for free as an intern in a newsroom, right? So that was kind of, you know, my, my, I would say my heartbreak road of journalism, you know, trying to get in, trying to do it so badly and then getting there and realizing like, this is not what I thought it was supposed to be. And I think many of us go through this in life with things that we imagine are to be, but they're not when we get there. Yes, 100%. I think a lot of people can definitely relate to that. And uh, I also like to say too, a lot of the things it's, it's important to know what you like want to do and what you like, but it's also important to find those things that you know, you said, this isn't for me. Um, But I mean, you still, uh, after working in the industry for many years, then you said in 2017, you then decided to go off on your own. So can you tell us a little bit about this journey and sort of what drove that transition for you? I think it was like a slow breakup. Honestly, it was a slow breakup. I got up and I got into the industry. I got my first job on TV when I was 25. I was at a local community station in Toronto and I learned a lot about storytelling from the perspective that is not the dominant perspective because we were a community station and I worked there. uh, I moved across the country to global news, lived in New Brunswick for a year. And that was my first official layoff. So we were there for a year. I hadn't intended on staying and moving in New Brunswick, like living in New Brunswick for the rest of my life. We got laid off there. Um, previous to that, even when I was, you know, freelancing for CTV, I got laid off there too, as well. Um, came back to Toronto was like, you know, they tell you, you have to go out to come in. So I came back in and I was at CBC worked there, got like technically my hours cut, um, and then moved back to CTV, got my hours cut again. Um, and then was at CP24 working through Metrolinx and they just eliminated that service got my hours cut again. Right. So do you see a, do you see a theme here? Right. So this, my experience also, I want to say is not unique, not unique in the sense when I talk about the layoffs, um, but also the treatment in the industry, right. You were made to feel that you should be grateful to even be there, that you should be grateful to have an opportunity. You should be grateful to have a desk. You should be grateful for this versus, you know, that sense of belonging and what happens in the industry, you end up feeling very insecure and very, competitive. And that's why they always say that that's one of the industries where it's, you know, what, what is that term they use? It's pretty much like, I mean, the West Indian term is like crabs in a bucket. Like everybody's trying to like climb on top of each other. And there's like the friendships and there are not always genuine. And there's lots of backstabbing and 
you know, it's, it's exhausting. I mean, I'm, I'm getting exhausted just like recounting it. Right. Because it's just thinking back of all the, all the stuff that's happened. And what happened was really, I was in my last position um, doing breakfast hits for CP24 for years. We were trying to get pregnant and I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'm employed by Metrolinks. Um, they do government top up, you know, I'll be good. And the like three weeks after we got laid off, I found out I was pregnant. Like I was pregnant. I was pregnant when I got laid off. Like I just, just found out we had been going through um, infertility for three years and I was actually grateful. It was a relief for me because I was waking up at 4am and I was like, I can't do this anymore. My head was not in the game anymore. I knew I wanted to start something like she's newsworthy media. I didn't know what it was going to look like. Um, I had my first child and I blinked and got pregnant again, <laughs> had no problem the second time. And the um, in-between part, phase, I kind of, I went back to CBC because I was like, I couldn't get my business off the ground. And I went back to CBC for a year. And again, it was me. Like, I think my, my like moment was me like eight months pregnant, waddling downtown on front street, trying to get to work on time and coming from the burbs and the accept like that, honestly, over everything that that happened, the accessibility part and not like having to commute was, was just killing my soul. Right. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this as a mom with kids. There's like, it's just not happening. So when my second son was born, like six weeks into it, I literally, um, I hired a business coach six weeks after postpartum. I was at her house sitting on a couch, pumping milk while we were strategizing my business, because I was like, there is no turning back. And that was kind of my turning point. I was, you know, determined that I wasn't going to go back to a nine to five. I wasn't going to go back to somebody else choosing my schedule. I wasn't going to go back to sexual harassment in the industry. I wasn't going to go back to racism in the industry. I wasn't, I wasn't going to like, I, I, I would think I was just fed up at that point. And I said, I'm going to use my tools. And when you're a journalist, your tools that you have and develop are actually really transferable for business. If you're a journalist, you're actually in sales every single day because you were calling people like a telemarketer, trying to get them to come on camera, trying to get the clip. You also are able to build up genuine relationships, which is really important in business as well. So the whole goal of the company is really to amplify the voices of women. And it took me a while to figure out who that woman is, but she is a woman entrepreneur. She is somebody who may not have $10,000 a month to access traditional PR in this country. She's someone who has, you know, invested in her business for a why she has a purpose. She is driven. She's sometimes also a mom who gets it. So getting access to media doesn't mean that she needs to drive around town to go to an agency. My business has been run online since 2018. So that's kind of a nutshell from like that breakup and that transition into how I ended up here. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's definitely so much I want to dive into there, especially about the industry. But to start things off, you kind of give it, gave a glimpse into the business side and sort of who, you know, who it really serves. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, about the business and sort of when you sat down with the business coach and created that sort of vision of what is this going to look like? Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah. So I definitely will not give that business coach the credit for my business. <laughs> it is something that I think the credit that I got from her, which was, you know, what is a business? Like I had zero business experience. What does an offer look like? What, how do you price your services? How do you, 
have a discovery call. Those were like the key foundational things, but it actually wasn't until two years later till I realized what I actually was offering. So what I ended up developing after doing a lot of testing and a lot of, you know, this is not working or, um, you know, I was, you know, what ended up happening early on, I ended up doing a VIP offer where I was doing everything for clients. I was writing their press releases. I was editing everything for them and I was doing the media coaching as well, but for on-camera practice, but I ended up attracting clients, I would say, that were reliant on me. And that wasn't my purpose of the business. The purpose is to, to, to like really empower women to be able to take control of their own story and amplify their own voices. So in that vein, what happened was I ended up eliminating all of my services and I only have a core PR service, which is called media success coaching. And it is a combination of a hybrid program where we have one-on-one support with our clients. We do a strategy session with them. We, you know, develop their story idea. They draft their pitch, we edit it, and then we do the on-camera practice with them. And it has been really, really successful because it has been something that fills the need of so many women entrepreneurs that they can't get at the traditional agencies. And part of it as well, people don't realize that traditional agencies are usually run by people who specialize in public relations, right? So they don't actually have journalism experience or storytelling experience in that sense. And they also don't have on camera or, or, you know, radio experience or TV experience like I do, or like members of our team do to be able to coach people. So you can go to a PR agency and have them pull stuff together. But what actually happens is they actually outsource someone like myself, who's a journalist to to help with the on-camera preparation. So for us, you know, for us as a business owner, we've had over 60 women go through that program. Last year, we had over a hundred TV interviews. So we have a plug and play formula that really works. But what happened during the pandemic, which was making media so much more accessible to women because the media went to the virtual platform, right? So they were okay now. Um, You know, so it doesn't matter what part of Canada you live in, you could still access some of the big media giants out of Toronto, which is pretty pretty incredible. Um, Previously, I have heard people like fly across the country for interviews, which is wild. I feel like that's something they would do in the U.S., But, you know, just trying to make media more accessible for women entrepreneurs, amplifying their voices, but then really showing them different ways that you can use media to grow your business. And all the strategies that I teach is exactly what I've done in my business for myself. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. And I think it's definitely well needed. I think, you know, especially in the female entrepreneur space, I think that's exactly what people are looking for. And, you know, I know a lot of the work you're doing too is really about redefining PR. And can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the work around this and what are those changes that you hope to sort of see in the industry? You know, when you're a journalist and you hear the word PR, it's very icky. It's an icky word because it comes with the connotation of being salesy, being forced, being manipulated something that is created and and, and not real and not genuine, right? So anybody, I will tell you the resistance for people who are in the journalism industry right now, and they jump into a corporate PR role, they get a lot of eyes from their colleagues, right? And that's actually the biggest concern, right? They go to it because they have stable hours. They maybe get like benefits and they, you know, are in a job where, you know, you're not going to get be cut in the next layoffs, but for the most part, PR is not looked on as something that is 
desirable. You know, when you're a journalist, you're trying to avoid all the PR people. You want to get right to the source, right? So that's one thing to keep in mind. When I started um, as an entrepreneur, I never called myself a PR person. It just felt very uncomfortable because of all those previous connotations and what it means to be uh, working in public relations. But when I got diving into it, I understand now that's what entrepreneurs see it as from the outside. So for marketing, of course, I call myself somebody who runs a PR agency. PR right now in typical agencies are also very much similar like media where they're not very diverse. So that means that we as consumers are not only consuming news uh, and information from a predominantly white narrative and voice and perspective, but that's also happening in the marketing sphere in PR. It's not very diverse, not very tapped in. I would say they're even more behind than journalists in newsrooms, right? So the attempt and the push and the public outcry for more diversity and inclusion has been there because journalists are accountable to the public. PR agencies are not accountable to anybody. They're accountable to their clients, right? So thinking about it like that, that's one thing to definitely keep in mind. And I'm just really just trying to bring more diverse voices to the forefront. And I see that my, like my role in it was I was part of the problem because I was that reporter that was just going to the database, going to the same white dude that's in the database that's been there that we already interviewed 20 times because that was the deadline that I was on. Now we have put like over 60 new voices into Canadian media and 60 different narratives into Canadian media that was not there before. And these women have now become go-to experts from all walks of life. And one of the things that I really um, insist on and coach on, whether you identify as white or whether you identify as someone who's a person of color, is that you always still have an inclusive perspective to your story so that you're not just thinking from that one lens. We're like, we're tired of that one lens. And I always say that the reason, part of the reason why my clients are so successful is just because we have a fresh perspective that is not being told over and over and over again. Like that is part of our secret sauce. You know, you're getting my brain, you're getting the brains of two other women media coaches who are on my team who think differently, right? Like we think differently versus the traditional media story. So when we're thinking about reinventing PR, we want to make sure that the stories that we are trying to shift the narrative, like we really are trying to shift the narrative. And that can only come from the sources that can really only come from the sources. A lot of my sources, my clients don't have the confidence to put themselves in front of the camera, right? So when they work with someone like us, we're relatable, we're down to earth, that's part of our brand, we're accessible, uh, we're transparent AF. Uh, so, you know, those are the values that are they are attracted to. And I think that's what kind of gives them the confidence and the security that they're not just throwing themselves out there and worried about, you know, what would be the end result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of um, women entrepreneurs listening, I'm sure can definitely relate to that. And I know you said confidence is one challenge that you definitely have overcoming in that. Is there any other common challenges that you really see with entrepreneurs trying to get that media attention or, and a, you know, more specifically female entrepreneurs trying to get media attention? It's definitely that confidence and mindset piece. So we have been conditioned in society to believe that our voices don't matter and that we're not good enough and that we can't be media experts. And that in order to say that we're a media expert, we have to have 10 degrees and we have to have X, Y, and Z. It is literally getting past that hump. 
there was nothing else. There was absolutely nothing else. And when I coach my clients now, we actually do mindset coaching first before we get into strategy. I could throw all the strategy to you. But then when you're coming back to me and saying, um, you know, I'm scared to hit send, like that is wild to me. We have just done your entire strategy. We know what your story is. You've drafted the pitch. We've edited it. We've given you all the media contacts and you're scared to hit send. So if you're scared to hit send, that's a mindset thing. That's not a plug and play problem, right? So I will say that many women don't think that they're ready. They don't think they have the tools. From my perspective, being a journalist, we're not looking for all of the things you think you need to have lined up in place. We always think as entrepreneurs, we have to have the website before it was the business card. You have to have certain following. You have to have um, something to drive your traffic to. It doesn't work like that. I think the misconception is that if you go on TV and you're an expert, you have to drive traffic, but media is not going to be asking you, tell me your website. That's not how it works, right? It's your responsibility to take your clip and amplify that clip and leverage that clip. So people know that you are the go-to expert. That is that middle step that people are missing. You get on media and then you're like, what do I do with it? Well, this, this is the leveraging piece that you have to do. So it's kind of like people think of um, media exposure or generating leads just as SEO or just as social media posts. They don't think beyond that because they don't think they belong in that space, which goes back to us not seeing ourselves represented on TV, right? Like we're not seeing that representation. And that is part of the reason why I only mostly, only mostly contradicting myself there, where I mostly work with women trying to get them on television because you have a presence that you're going to be seen. You're going to be heard. You're going to be a scroll stopper. The other publication that we've started to pitch to, which has been really wonderful, is the Globe and Mail, their women in work section. And we've had some really great success. The journalists are phenomenal, the ones that we work with and have accurately represented ourselves. I find like the biggest fear for women entrepreneurs as well is like, what if I go on TV and I say something or what if it like, you know, ends up being, you know, something that I don't like how it looks. If you're doing a live interview, there's no surprises. You are there live. You are there live. So you can actually control how you respond to everything versus a print interview where you are not having the final say on the product. You don't have you know, the editor has the final say on the product and you're not part of that conversation. So that's kind of some of the things that I try to put into perspective so people can release some of that fear and get better perspective on what the process actually looks like behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think there's so much great information there and a lot that, you know, happens that people don't realize and, you know, especially leveraging that media and all the different ways you can do that. And if there was someone looking to gain media attention, is there sort of one key tip or one, one, something, you know, key ingredient you really think that goes into that, whether that's something that's specific, like with the story, making sure that it's captivating, or is there like, what would you say to someone right in that position? I think every woman entrepreneur who runs a service-based business is newsworthy. It just is. I can tell you just based on the number of discovery calls that I've done in the past couple of years, I can tell you within the first five minutes what your stories are going to be, who you're going to pitch to, who you're going to leverage to. That again is a plug and play formula. You need to have the mindset to be ready to show up and to want to invest in yourself. The other thing is like women um, are, hesitate on investing in themselves so much when it comes to business coaching or you know upgrading software. Software, is that what we call it now? applications, um, platforms. I have so many platforms. I should know that terminology really well. And, you know, 
when you invest in yourself and you're brave enough to do that, things just move much faster for you, right? So, you know, taking that risk and taking that risk on yourself and betting on yourself, right? Betting on yourself. If you're going to go into it thinking it's not going to work, guess what? It's not going to work. So that's really one of the things. It's the mindset piece. Um, you know, I would say you don't even like I've worked with clients who, you know, are publishing books who don't even have a full website. There's not just one thing. It's do you have an interesting story? And, you know, again, women listen will be like, oh, I don't think my, you know, I'm interesting. Honestly, talk to somebody who is a journalist who can talk to you for five to 10 minutes and pull your story out. And that's what they're skilled at doing to find a news hook. Every story that we pitch has to be newsworthy and has to connect to the media's news cycle. So the skill is really taking your service-based business and amplifying your thought leadership so that it is connecting to the media's news cycle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's such a great, great piece of advice. And I think a lot of people will definitely be able to sort of relate to that and sort of, I'm sure have those same fears and stuff. So it's really great when it's put in that perspective. And speaking of, you know, the journalism industry, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what are the changes you've seen over the past few years? And I know you're working with a lot of people who, like you mentioned, there's lots of layoffs in the media industry and you're sort of still helping them in this industry, continue doing what they love. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so the layoffs probably happen a couple times a year. You see people on Twitter saying that I've like, you know, I'm I'm one of the la- the latest victims in the last round of layoffs. And one of the things that um, happened in my business a couple years ago was I started hiring. So actually, last year was I started hiring. I started hiring media coaches to help with the one on one work with our clients. And when during that process, so many journalists reached out to me that were in the industry. I have so many private DMs, private messages, private emails of them saying, you know, they're trying to leave, they're trying to figure out how to leave. They, you know, very curious about what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, how I'm getting the results. Like they're just very, very curious. So out of that and out of many, many, many conversations and understanding what it is like when you're in the industry, if you're a mom and trying to do a 4 a.m. shift, a 10 a.m. shift, a weekend shift, you do not have a regular schedule. You're also commuting. And most of the times you have to be in studio because of the equipment, right? So some some of them went virtual. So one of the things that I have been working on behind the scenes is launching an academy. So it's called She's Newsworthy Academy. And the academy is going to be for journalists who are looking to uh, leave journalism and go into public relations and be pretty much a consultant for the company. And they'll be able to have that flexibility. I work four days a week. I've only worked four days a week for the past couple of years. Don't work evenings. I don't work weekends. And being able to you know, help other women have that platform to teach them the business 101, but also give them the tools that we use inside of Media Success Coaching, a formula that I literally have been tweaking since June 2019 that is now continuously being tweaked, but is literally now a plug and play formula. So that academy, the details are going to be launched in more detail later this year, but it's something that I've been building across um, behind the scenes. And of course, it takes a lot of work because it's something that I'm looking to do across Canada and into the United States. Amazing. Well, I'm so excited to see that. And I think, like you said, there's so many people that are interested in making those transitions. So it's great that you have that that available to them to sort of make that transitions. And with, with media too, I'm curious, you know, we talked about sort of the key things in getting media attention. Is there sort of a common mistake or, you know, something people don't really realize when trying to gain media attention that you often see? 
yeah, number one mistake is everyone's trying to send a press release and press releases don't actually work. So sometimes they pay a wire service and use wire service and they pop a generic press release and it's sent to everyone and never gets picked up. So that is the number one mistake, understanding that press releases don't work and that you have to be individualized for each individual pitch, but also making sure that you're not sending it to a hundred people. We pitch on approximately five to six media for each pitch that we send out based on, is this story newsworthy for this outlet? Are they likely to pick it up? Does it fit into their news cycle? And out of maybe four to five contacts, they'll get picked up maybe twice, right? Twice to three times, depending on the news cycle for each newsroom. That is the number one. That is the absolute number. I actually have somebody, I was having a chat with somebody this morning that wants to send out a, she said, I need to send out a press release. I'm like, well, you don't send out a press release. Like (laughs) that's the number one mistake right there for sure. That's definitely interesting. That's something I definitely didn't know. And I'm sure a lot of a lot of uh, listeners are learning that as well. So that's definitely good to know. And, you know, when you were building up this business, you know, from from the ground up, what did you find to sort of be the biggest challenge you really had to overcome in building it? And sort of what did you do during that time? Having two kids under three at home with me was the biggest challenge. However, this was my plan A. I had no plan B, so I had to make it work. And I think I spent a lot of time on my phone when I was nursing, when I was with the kids and, you know, um, pretty much building the business kind of became an escape from that regular routine when you have little ones, right? Because it is very much a routine that you're going through. So I would say that that was the biggest challenge, right? Trying to be able, you know, having two kids at home when the pandemic hit, my husband, um, got laid off and, I actually, for the first time had childcare. So I have, he's, he's, he's now a stay at home dad. The kids have been in virtual school for the last two years. One of them is going to be going back this fall. But the thing is that I can now come into my office uninterrupted between 10 and five. And I know this is like something that is not novel anymore because all the women have been talking about this for the last two years, but that was my biggest challenge, except nobody got it. Nobody understood it until the pandemic happened. If you don't have uh, access to childcare, you don't have nanny, a livid nanny, you don't have family nearby and you're trying to run a business and you have kids interrupting every two seconds, you're going to run into a problem, right? So that would be probably the biggest challenge, I would say. So it has been a relief. Um, And now it's a situation where I have to make sure I don't overwork, right? Because now I have all this time and I finally can work on my business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of people can definitely relate to that. And do you have any tips on sort of how you find that balance or how you manage that for anyone listening? (laughs) So I, I need to get it, like become an ambassador for Trello. So I use Trello, which is an platform and a project management platform. And you can get a hundred million notifications every single single day. What I did on my birthday weekend, a couple weekends ago was I just decided to not get the notifications via email anymore. And when I stopped those notifications, it helped me to stop checking my email. Um, and stop caring about every little thing that was tagged on Trello. So really just trying to time block my time so that I can be present with my kids and that I'm not on my phone. That's the hardest thing I would say. And making sure that um, I had a team in place that I felt confident and fully trained that could take care of 99%, 99 99.9% of problems, right? That could arise. And when I say problems, it's not even problems. It's like urgent things that clients may need. You know, we really try to offer a high level of exceptional service. And if you follow me on social media, on Instagram, you'll see my clients literally 
I think in the last week, I've seen three clients share without being prompted, like stories of working with me, right? So we really try to uh, provide a high exceptional like service level, but then how, like what at what cost to to my well being and what cost to my kids? So it has been hard to stay present because they also have been home for two years. So any parent <laughs> is not going to be completely present with their kids when they're there every single second of the waking day, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely challenging times, but that's great to hear that, you know, you do have those systems in place and sort of what works for you. And that's great to hear, you know, the feedback from your clients as well. And I'm sure that's always a highlight hearing those. Is there anything that really stands out to you since building your business as sort of a big success moment where it's almost like a pinch me moment for you? Yeah, because I think people have the concept, the perception of me that because I worked in the media that I have a whole list of media contacts that were already like developed. I literally developed my media contacts from scratch and literally built my entrepreneur community from scratch. So one of the milestones that we had last year was um, we had, we we have one of our regular clients who is a regular on city line now. Um, So getting her as a regular was a really big accomplishment for us. She's a mental health therapist who works specifically with the black community. So it's really important for me that we're amplifying stories that would never typically be in the media. And the other, you know, moment that kind of just gave me goosebumps was when we were doing election coverage last year. And one of my clients who uh, is identifies as someone who is Asian was one of the election commentators for a story. And it just kind of gave me shivers because like, you know, I worked inside, you know, many of those news organizations for many years. And we know today's, you know, here in Ontario um, elections, but we know that most of the commentators don't look like women of color. They are mostly men and they're mostly white. So really understanding and realizing, wow, we're actually making an impact and actually seeing like last year that when we hit over a hundred interviews that I realized, okay, like this is, it almost had to validate myself because I have no, there's no blueprint for what I'm doing. Nobody's ever done what I've been doing. So a large part of my challenge for myself has been a personal challenge of validating that I am good at what I'm doing and that I am exceptional at what I'm doing and we are doing excellent work. So seeing that as kind of the visual evidence of it, I think would say for me has definitely been the highlights. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and that's definitely huge. And it's great to sort of see that shift coming and, you know, all of the, all of the impact that that work is really having in the media industry as a whole. And, you know, with that to building your business, if there is someone sort of in that starting phase right now, what sort of advice would you give to them or someone who's maybe thinking of starting a business? I think one of the things that holds people back is like the money piece, right? So can I make money in my business? And I've heard people like recently that I know have been in business for years and they've told me that they haven't been paying themselves. And I just, just blows my mind because that's not a business, right? So honestly, overall, at the end of the day, if it's a business, you need to make money. And if you need to make money, hire somebody to help you figure that out and make sure you're hiring the right business coach. One of the things that was never, ever, ever even brought up to me with the number of coaches that I've hired is the concept of profit first, which just blows my mind. So I don't know if you're familiar with the concept, but profit first is basically, it's a book um, written by an entrepreneur, really funny, really great storytelling. So it's not a boring accounting book, but just really 
making sure that you're paying yourself and that your business is making profit and you're able to actually stay within your budget when you are running your business. So you can have like having an exceptional website is not going to help you pay yourself, right? To me, at the end of the day, the first thing that you should be doing is looking at, you wake up, don't even check email. I don't even check email in the morning anymore, okay? I get to my desk and I figure, how can I move the needle forward in my business and in revenue first? Then I look at my marketing and then I actually look at my client work. That sounds bizarre to people, but that's actually how it should work. Because if you're putting everything else at the forefront, then your business takes the backseat. And this is very much like motherhood, right? If you're filling everybody else's cup, your your cup's not going to be filled and you're going to be burnt out. Same thing with your business. So definitely, you know, doing the math, doing the math and seeing what, you know, you can you actually pay yourself if you're doing a side hustle or, you know, when can you actually take the leap? I literally live with my calculator. Like it is, I have two calculators. My kids love to steal them, but I live with my calculator because I'm always checking my numbers. I check my numbers every day. And I think people are scared of money. They're scared of talking about money. They're scared of wanting money. And I think that's also part of the biggest things that can hold people back from having a thriving business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree. And I think that, like you said, it's great to find those people that are going to show you, you know, this is what you need to do if, if you aren't sure how to get there. And I think also seeing it in front of you and actually showing, okay, this is how many clients I need at this much, if this is my goal. And I think having that clear picture and vision is definitely so important. And um, what, one last question before I know we have to wrap up, but um, you mentioned they're working with business coaches. What sort of advice do you have for finding the right one for you? Is there anything that, you know, you really found to work in when you were searching for one or that you've heard other people? (laughs) So this is like kind of a strange question. So I've had several business coaches and I have been, and I've gotten something from every one of them, right. To help me move forward. And I literally have been trying to find a new coach for the last two years. And I've doubled my business without a coach. So it's just like, I don't know. It's kind of like, and I actually, you know, what ended up happening was my clients, because I work so intimately with them, the PR program, they actually come to me for business advice a lot. And I actually started business coaching. It's not something I do often. And I only do if if it's the right fit, but I think it's just making sure that that coach is there to fulfill your requirements. And it's not just about sales for the coach. So I think a lot of business coaches are getting a bad rap. I saw something on Twitter, somebody called it a business coach pyramid scheme. And like business coaches are getting a bad rap by, you know, just showing the numbers, not showing the hard work, and they're just doing the sales, but they don't actually care about the results of the client. So, you know, doing your research, it's with anything, Um, you know, if you're doing research and you're, I mean, this is my journalistic nature, right? So I interview people, I interview coaches, making sure that I have the right fit, understanding the results. I also do digging because I'm a journalist. I go and I look up their testimonials or I connect with their contacts without them um, you know, knowing really um, upfront that I'm just getting a sense. And that's how people will get a sense. And I think I've had a lot of people come to me for um, feedback and I give it pretty transparently, but I think it's just doing your, doing your due diligence because what happens is some people get a bad coach or someone that they didn't like working with. And then the whole industry gets a bad rap right? And business Mm -hmm. coaches don't work, which is not true. It's just about finding the right fit. And I do think that there has to be a balance between just group coaching, business coaching and individualized group coaching. I prefer for myself individualized coaching. And I think that 
if you're starting off in business, you kind of need that. You do kind of need that. I think it's going to move you faster ahead than group coaching. Um, that's kind of where I, you know, where I am right now in business. That's how I view it. Maybe I, I, I might change my views later on, but definitely do your research and do your digging to make sure that your investment is going to be worth the while. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. And thank you for providing those insights. I know that question was sort of out of the blue, but I was curious on, on your perspective for that. And I know you've mentioned a few things coming up in your business that are exciting. Would you like to share some other upcoming plans or things that people can watch out for from you? Yeah, we actually have, um, depending on when this podcast is going to be published, um, we have a few things rolling out summer 2022. So we're doing a special series called The Inside Scoop. I'll be sitting down with journalists from the industry, media professionals, getting the inside scoop on what's newsworthy to them now. This has changed and shifted a little bit since the pandemic and a really good insight for business owners to see where their business can actually fit into that new cycle. I'll also be for the first First time in two years, creating and crafting and launching a new webinar. That may sound boring, but honestly, it is really exciting for me. I literally have had one webinar and have grown my my business to multi six figures with that one webinar, pretty much as my core, um, as one of my core lead magnets for that for my business. And this part, this webinar that we have coming up, I've just started pulling it together, but it's really about that second piece that we were talking about earlier about once you land media, how do you leverage it? How do you leverage it? And how do you get the money back into your business? So that's going to be coming late summer 2022. And then we're opening up enrollment for media success coaching, our signature program later on in August. So those are the three things that we have on the on the radar right now. Amazing. Well, I'm excited to see all those come and where can people go to find out more about this and and see all those exciting plans? So you'll definitely will have first access to all the information that I just shared. If you get yourself on my newsletter list, so you can head on to my website at shoesnewsworthy.com. And if the top right corner, there's a pink button, although we are doing a website refresh right now, and you can opt into my media pitch template. It is the same template that we use for all of our clients. And of course we adjust and tweak it. So if you're on that newsletter list, you can uh, get out, get first access um, to all that information I just dropped. And then of course, follow me on social media. I'm really active right now now on Instagram and I'm happy to leave a DM voice note for you if you do have a deeper question that you wanted to ask me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining me here today and sharing all of your great advice and your story. And just thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a great chat. Thanks so much for tuning in to Made It Happen Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please feel free to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And thanks again for all your support. I'll see you next week.